0: Getting to the place of being thankful in everything. Next on Abounding Grace. I believe a regular prayer life will lead to thankfulness. No matter what
1: struggles we're facing, what testings come our way, how bad the ups and downs of life might be, thanksgiving is a key. You can't be thankful for everything. That's not a realistic view of life, and it's not a realistic view of the reality of pain and suffering. But we step back, we can be thankful. In everything,
0: this is a messing grace. This is a failing love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You lay down. Today on Abounding Grace, we take a look at a touching, heartfelt prayer from Hannah. Her son was about to enter into a life of service to the Lord, and she's truly thankful not only for what God has done, but for what He's going to do in the future. You'll find it in 1 Samuel 2, and it really is a fantastic and encouraging prayer to carefully consider. Let's go to Pastor Ed Taylor and continue our study of 1 Samuel. Chapter 2, and Hannah prayed
1: and said... My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty have been broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for bread and those who were hungry have ceased to hunger even the barren has borne seven and she who has many children has become feeble <laughs> what a powerful prayer in Hannah's life it doesn't sound like a typical prayer. I was even paying attention to my own prayer life recently as I was looking at this, and I can say that there is a pattern in my prayers, and it usually begins with addressing the Father and being thankful. Is that how you pray? Like, I'm just so thankful, I'm so thankful, and nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, I think it flows from our heart of thanksgiving. I think true prayer flows through thanksgiving, but you can see that in the pattern of prayer in Hannah's heart, uh, she, she is praying and just is just talking out loud to God, reminding herself and talking to God about how her heart rejoices, her horn is exalted, she's smiling at enemies, she rejoices in salvation. It was Robert Murray McShane that said, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. And he was making the point of how priceless your prayer life is. It's just beyond money could buy. It's beyond anything you could trade in for it. I mean, really, what you are. You're you're struggling in an area, it's directly related to your prayer life. You find great victory, it's directly related to your prayer life. Standing in strong faith, it's directly related to you. Making progress, moving backwards, your prayer life. Sometimes when we think of prayer, we get discouraged because, well, you know, we... Whenever we talk about prayer, we all are a little convicted, I think. Maybe not every single person, but I mean, who among us here or out on the radio, um, on the internet or, you know, where, however you're connected here today with us, how, which one of us wouldn't be able to say, you know, my prayer life could use a little improvement. I could pray a little bit more, or I could include this, or my prayer life's become stale, or any... Which one of us couldn't say, I mean, God, I want a passionate prayer? And, and you could even come to the conclusion, couldn't you? You could say, you know, I want a prayer like this. I want a prayer... I, I want to jump... You know, I want a prayer... I want to jump in right at chapter 2 here, and I want a prayer life in chapter 2. But you have to understand something. In Hannah's life, the prayer of chapter 2 did not come without chapter 1. That's what developed in her a deep relationship, a deep prayer, was chapter one, which we spent a lot of time looking at the difficulties in her life, what developed her prayer life, what taught her the sufficiency of God. And other times we can be discouraged about prayer simply because the answers didn't come the way we were asking. We're passionately pleading with God and desiring great things from God and desiring things even that would agree with the scriptures. We're, Uh, We're not selfish, or we're looking at the scriptures, we're applying the promises of God, and we get discouraged because the answers didn't come the way that we wanted, or the way that we anticipated, and we've been praying, and praying, and praying, and praying, seems like year after year, and month after month, and even day after day, or we're praying, and, and, and we're praying the same thing because the answer hasn't come through. But today, I want to encourage you through Hannah's life that the answer to prayer comes even though even in Hannah's life it was a very painful answer there are times when God will just totally blow your mind and give you the desires of your heart right here on earth just just exactly you're praying right along with his will it was a painful process for Hannah and could be a painful process for you but he gives you right what you're looking and he, she opens up with this heart of thanksgiving declaring the beauty of God and who he is According to chapter one, verse twenty-eight of Samuel, First Samuel, this is a prayer of worship. It's an act of worship on her part. In it, she rejoices. She declares God's exaltation, the bitter sweetness of the whole situation. As you follow the life of Hannah in summary, where she goes from barrenness to baby, but from baby to emptiness because what does she end up doing she ends up dedicating him to the lord just like she said it wasn't like a baby dedication on the stage it was full-on i'm gonna give you my kid i gave you god i said i would give him to you and i dropped him off at the temple trusting eli the people that are in charge there to raise him, trusting you, God, even despite Eli, to raise him. And Eli's kids, in the bad example, I trust you, God, because I'm going to keep my word. I'm not going to let the circumstances dictate how how I act. I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to follow through. So when we read, I dedicate my kid to you, it would be easy to read that is, um, I dedicate my son or my daughter to you in the ministry and I will just continue to pray for her and whatever she does in, in this world, it's unto you. And that's a great prayer and it's a great dedication. But Hannah was much deeper than that. When she said she's dedicating her kids, she meant it. Here you are. And to this day in ministry, we have not had anyone drop their kid off and say, raise him in the name of the Lord. <laughs> like, wow, this is, this is a uniqueness. This is a unique situation. A very beautiful picture of what would happen in the life of Jesus as his life was dedicated to fulfilling the Father's will. So she went from barrenness to baby, from baby to emptiness. She dropped him off. She goes from rejoicing, from sorrow to rejoicing, to even smiling at the enemy. Did you see that? smiling? Do you think that was a little bit of insight in her prayer life, that she was smiling at the enemy? And we know who her enemy was. It was Peninnah taunting her and making fun of her. The prayer really reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in chapter five where he said, rejoice always, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I believe a regular prayer life will lead to thankfulness. No matter what struggles we're facing, what testings come our way, how bad the ups and downs of life might be, thanksgiving is a key. It's the the key for... uh, for this admonition to pray, and when he says pray without ceasing, you know, the idea is to pray not, not for everything, but to be thankful in everything. Not, you can't be thankful for everything. That's not a realistic view of life, and it's not a realistic view of the reality of pain and suffering. But we step back, we can be thankful in everything. You know, Psalm 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. And he said, what she says in her prayer is, in verse 3, Talk no more, she says, so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him the actions are weighed. That's a good reminder, isn't it? It's a good thing to say in your prayers, just to be reminded that our actions are weighed by God that it's not so much what you did, but why you did it. It's not so much the action, the outward action that might impress man. You know, we can actually do things that are good with bad motives for the wrong reasons. We can do good things... For the wrong reasons. And it's really an encouraging thing to be reminded that really our actions are not first and foremost before man. They're first and foremost before God who weighs the hearts. He knows the motives, not just the actions. And so she says in verse 4 the bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Just kind of looking at her life, how hard it was, how difficult. Now the strength of God. Verse 5, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The tables have been turned, she's praying. Tables have been turned. Even the barren. Look at the blessing of God. Hannah crying out in desperation for kids. Even the barren has born seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills, verse 6, and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes the poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. To set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. As she's praying, she seems to have this increase in faith. She becomes more encouraged in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. His power, His rulership over our lives. You have to think, you know, this prayer is hard to pray while you're barren, when you want a baby. We don't know. It's, it's, it's really uh, uh, an encouraging thing to see that God shares with us her prayer of victory, but not when she was mistakenly drunk uh, at the temple, when she was passionately praying. We don't know what she said there. We kind of know the direction of her prayers, but we don't have the exact words. But now that God has come through, we see what was in her heart. We see really what's being drawn out from her. Where that was there, the presence of God, the sovereignty of God. You, when you and I, when you and I heard the gospel and we responded to the good news that Jesus Christ died for us, that we accept the blood that was shed for us. For the forgiveness of our sins, we accepted as the pastor shared with us, or someone was sharing the gospel in our front room or out on the street. We accepted in that moment the, the reality that God saves, that He alone is God, that He is the God of the universe, that He, out of His loving care for man that was hopelessly lost, dead in their sins and trespasses, every single one of us, that because of His love, He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for us. That if we would, and some of you need to make this decision today. If we would just humble ourselves and admit that we've sinned, admit we don't have to be even convinced of our sin. We know that sin, you know, that, you know how, you may not call it sin in your life. This is one way to think of it. When, when you start talking, somebody starts talking about your life and maybe has isolated a mistake or something you said and you get really defensive and you say, well, I'm not perfect. That's an admission of sin. Yet we know you're not perfect. You know that I'm not perfect. And what makes us imperfect from God, the God word for that, the Bible word for that, is sin. So I don't know why people get uptight talking about sin and how it's so offensive. Because you'll hear it a thousand times. I'm not perfect. You know, know not everybody's perfect. Yes, I know. And what makes you and me imperfect is our sin. Both being born into it imperfect beings... Imperfect humans, not as God intended. We inherited sin from our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather all the way back in creation. As many greats as go back. I don't know how many to go back. But from Adam. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, they sinned and they plunged all of humanity after them into sin. Why? Because you have Adam, a sinful man, and Eve, a sinful woman. And when they came together and created a baby, that baby was sinful. Sinful. The sin nature was passed down. So not only are we sinful by nature, we're also sinful by action. We're guilty. And so a lot of times that's expressed because the Bible says that God has put eternity in every human's heart. There's a longing in your life to be right with your creator. That's the the really depth, you know, when you really face your emptiness and you really face your loneliness and you really face... Now, as believers, that's that's something where we need to come back to our sufficiency and our fullness in God. But for those that don't believe in God, that emptiness is a lack of God himself in your life. You're not living the way you were made to live. And things are backwards. And so God, in order to make things in order for you, sacrificed his own son to make it right. There's such a big gap between you and God. And in order to bridge that gap, God took care of it himself. He built the bridge himself by sending the eternal Son of God so that you can cross over. Not in your efforts and not in your energy, but in his. When you and I, all when, whenever that moment was, where you're a little kiddo or you're an adult, when you finally surrender, you bow the knee, you know, because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The, the the beautiful thing about that is now that you know that you can bow the knee today, willingly and openly, and out of desperation for relationship, and God will save you. Or if you refuse and you battle your whole life, you will bow the knee to God, but it will be a bowing of knee of knee bowing your knee to God in, in, well, what's the word I would want to use? You're just going to be really bummed out, I guess. Bummed out is the word. Because now you know. And there's not going to be any opportunity for you. It's going to be a bowing of the knee of, you know, submission. But the opportunity to be saved is over. So when you were born again, When you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, let me tell you what you agreed to, just very simply. There's a lot of things you agreed to, but the one thing you agreed to was God's absolute, complete sovereignty over your life and over this world in which you live in. I bet you didn't know you did that. So uh, nobody told me about the sovereignty of God. You learn it over time. You can't learn everything in a moment. You know, we're all growing up. When you were born again, you became a baby. And you were just sucking milk in those early days. Just like, God loves me, yes. He cares for me, yes. It's wonderful. And you live on love for a long time. And then God begins to show you his justice and his mercy. He begins to show you his grace. He begins to show you the price of was paid. And then one day it hits you. The sovereignty of God. And, and a, a great way to remember the sovereignty of God is just this. God is God. And there is no other. And he rules. And he reigns. I see this in her prayer. God is sovereign. Look at these. He kills and makes alive. Yes. Well, how could he do that? Because he's God. He brings to the grave. And he brings up through the resurrection. How could he? Because he's God. He makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low. He lifts up. Verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust, the beggar from the ash sheep He sets them among princes. It says in verse 8, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he set the world upon them. Sovereign, sovereign, in control. And he even controls her womb. He's the helper of the humble, the author of life. Another thing I see here is not just her acknowledgement of his sovereignty, but the necessity of humility. Humility. It's a very important part of our relationship with Jesus Christ, humility it's not to be minimized or ignored humility is a must before god because he knows he knows us and he knows all and he will humble the proud he will bring great sometimes that humbling of the proud is known as humility and humiliation because the proud resists god and god resists the proud humility is important the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God gives grace to the humble. There, He says, let me quote it to you. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, sa-, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the, the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And this is just flowing from Hannah's heart. And remember, chapter 2 doesn't come without chapter 1. In the midst of her desperation, she believed these things. They may not have been crystal clear, but they were drawing her... To the Father. They were drawing her to the house of worship. They were drawing out of her prayers of anguish. They were drawing out of her patience, even when she's misunderstood and mistreated and taunted. And now that God has shown up and answered her prayer, and what a joy! I know, I know that there are prayers that we pray that God doesn't answer the way that we would like. He does answer them, but not the way that we like. But I also know this. God is so gracious that he will often answer the prayers the way that we like. He will often, we will pray in accordance with his will. We will like Luke chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord says, you know, that men ought always to pray and not cease, not quit, not give up, not throw in the towel. And to many of those prayers, when we're lined up right with the will of God, and and, and he answers the desires of our hearts, we like this, we go, yes, yes, this is awesome. And so much more than just for things. Praying for the will of God. And so what does he say? What does she say in verse 9? He will guard the feet of the saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail." The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. And the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, you know, her prayer is so in tune with the Lord that she's prophetic here. She's talking about Messiah. She is being used of God right now to prophesy the future. God is speaking through her in just her prayer that's in tune with his spirit. And, And right there at the end of verse 10... She's prophesying the coming of the Lord, coming of Messiah. God is going to do a work that's going to bless all that will come to know him. It's amazing, amazing, so sweet, so encouraging, so helpful that God would promise in verse 9 to guard the feet of his saints, that he would silence the wicked in darkness. Be careful because this is the work of God, not your work and mine. Why? Why do we know that? Well, because it says that he will do it, but then it says at the end of verse 9, for by strength no man shall prevail. And it's just a big mistake in our lives to trust in man. Man will disappoint you. I'll disappoint you. People that you put your trust in will disappoint you. We need to put our trust in the Lord. Some men trust in horses, the Bible says. Some men trust in chariots. You read that verse, you go, oh. I don't trust in horses. What are you talking about? Chariots. I, don't even, I haven't even seen a chariot. Like, what do, you, what do you mean? It's a picture. You know, it's a picture of war. It's a picture of armies. It's a picture of human strength and even strength within the animal kingdom. Some people trust in those things. Some people put their whole trust in those things. And, and, and it becomes a big picture of trusting in someone or something other than the sovereignty and the power of God. Only to find out that horses get tired. Only to find out that chariots' wheels fall off and rust out. Only to find out that you've trusted in man, but man cannot come through for you. Man did not come through for you. Man misunderstood you. Man didn't get it. They didn't grasp it. That in Your relationship, trying to wrestle with the situation that you came to the conclusion like she did. And it's better just to accept it. By strength, no man shall prevail. Strength by strength, no man shall prevail. It's only in the strength of the Lord will you find victory. And it's then in verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. He does that. Later on in the New Testament, what will God say? Vengeance is... Yours, says the Lord. He doesn't say that. We misread that. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It belongs to him. Heaven, he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge. And we just need to trust in the Lord.
0: We're going through 1 Samuel with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Request a CD copy of the message or the entire series it was taken from when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or go to calvaryaurora.org and do a search for First Samuel. This month, we picked out a very helpful resource designed for those who are experiencing a difficult season of life, like Hannah. It's called Help for the Troubled Heart, a series taught by Pastor Ed recently. These nine studies will lead you above the circumstances to God's greater purposes and plan for your life. And you'll be encouraged as you hear God's truth regarding the painful trials of life. We put them onto a USB thumb drive, making it super easy to take with you wherever you go and load onto your mobile device or computer or even listen on your way to work. Request Help for the Troubled Heart on the thumb drive when you call 877-30-GRACE. It's available for a gift of $25 or more. And we want to remind you that abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. To come to you day by day like this, it really takes a good number of people coming alongside of us. If you'd like to do that, please call 877-30-GRACE or go to CalvaryAurora.org. And we have a couple of apps we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. Search for Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps. You'll be able to listen to Pastor Ed's teachings there. We'll pick up where we left off in 1 Samuel next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And remember to look to Jesus in the midst of your difficulty, who is more than willing and able to shower you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace.